Good evening, Boston. Welcome to BNN News. I'm Faith Amaphidon. Thanks for tuning in. Last weekend, in commemoration of mothers, grandmothers, and maternal figures everywhere, the Mothers for Justice and Equality hosted the annual Mother's Day Luncheon. Last Saturday in Dorchester, it seemed as though the flowers outside Faith Christian Church gave their blessing to the Mother's Day Luncheon inside, hosted by Mothers for Justice and Equity. Women enjoyed fellowship and remarks from city leaders before the MJE awards ceremony, where they were saluted for their courage and conviction, nurturing families and serving as the backbone of their communities. I think that being a mother is a very important job today. Um, I believe that it's the love from mothers, our um, determination to provide and ensure that our children have um, everything that they need mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually to thrive. Um, and it's an honor to be um, to receive any award today from mothers from justice and equality because they are a great um, asset to our community. Um, they help the mothers, they build up the mothers, they give us the emotional um, support that we need. Despite the joyous atmosphere, the connection among these mothers is a bittersweet one. Each of them know the loss of a child taken by gun violence and were moved to do something. The saddest thing is to bury your child. Um, I lost my son January 11, 2020. Um, I did go down a road of self-destruction, and I turned it around. I turned my pain into a purpose. Um, I'm in recovery, and it's a pleasure and an honor to be here today because being a mother and losing my son to gun violence, it brought out the mother bear in me. It made me become to figure out what happened, how it happened, and today I am getting justice for my son, and being honored here today is a privilege and an honor, and I'm thankful and grateful. My son Aaron Warner was murdered uh, 11, uh, 12 years ago this June, coming this June. Um, it's very, very important. We as mothers, we're very important. It's such an important part of our children's lives. Yes, there's a mom and a dad, but we as moms, we're the ones that try our best to keep our kids in line. The way the world is today, it's we have to uh, work even harder. We're so worried when our children go outside that, you know, are they going to be safe out there? Together, they have resolved to end neighborhood violence and heal while advocating for peace in their communities. For mothers who have faced the worst type of pain, their ability to go on and love on is a gift to us all. You have experienced what no one should experience. And being a mother and experiencing this, the loss, the grief, the trauma, you have turned your pain into such powerful love for the wider community. And so we stand here just to say thank you, that you are seen and treasured, and um, I just look up to each and every one of you, and I'm, I'm humbled to even be in your presence always, but especially this weekend, we thank you for making sure that the power of a mother's love really covers everyone in our communities and that we won't rest until everyone has the safety, opportunity, health, and joy that we know is possible and, and that everyone deserves. In addition to the luncheon, Mother's Day was honored by hundreds at the 27th annual Mother's Day Walk for Peace. Mother's Day is a time to appreciate the efforts of moms all over the world. But for those who have suffered the loss of their child, the day can be very emotional, especially if gun violence cut their lives short. 
The founders of the Louis D. Brown Institute recognized this pain and created the Mother's Day's Walk for Peace to ease their grief. Today is a sad day for mothers that have lost a child, mothers that know of a lost child. Mothers are the vehicle, the support, and the backbone of our family. We need our mothers to rally together to bring a community of peace for our youth violence that's happening in the world. The walk contributes to the Institute's fundraising campaign to empower survivors, families, and communities impacted by murder, trauma, and loss in cultivating cycles of peace and healing. Every Mother's Day morning since 1996, participants warm up their muscles and wear their hearts on their sleeves as they walk with one purpose. We are changing the narrative around stopping the violence and interrupting the violence and we're putting something in its place. Our seven core principles are love, unity, faith, hope, courage, justice, and forgiveness. And we are out here with the mothers celebrating, grieving, hugging and loving on them while they are actively working to change the narrative and to make sure that as we talk about our, our family members who were murdered, that we are talking about the love that we had for them. We are talking about the care and we are talking about all of the beautiful things about them. And, and that's why we're out here today. We're just making sure that people feel celebrated and loved and held, um, especially on Mother's Day, uh, where it could be a hard day for some of us. Hundreds gathered on Sunday to walk and share stories of their loved ones, and there was joy in honoring their memories. State and city leaders called for an end to gun violence, advocating for peace throughout the city, state, and country. That because of gun violence, we have suicide, accidental shootings of children in the home, domestic violence, school shootings, community-based violence, and let me just say this, there is no hierarchy of heart. So please make sure when you are talking about the scourge and the public health crisis, that is gun violence, that you hold equitable outrage and compassion for all impacted. Debbie Structures Foundation, every house, every building, the foundation has to be built on something even more solid underneath, that bedrock. And in Boston, that bedrock is peace. That bedrock is the safety of community, the dream, the joy of young people growing and reaching every bit of possibility and potential. Elders in our community, sitting in the parks and in our porches and our community spaces, reflecting back on how much the city has grown we want that peace in every corner of Boston, and we are going to fight for it. The loss of one's child can be devastating, but through the Walk for Peace, these mothers and families are finding comfort in each other. Though their stories are different, their mission stays the same. End gun violence. Now. A few months ago, we had the chance to take a sneak peek at the newest market cafe in Roxbury, Nubian Markets. This week, they officially opened their doors and the community was ecstatic. After months of anticipation, Nubian Markets finally opened their doors at their grand opening event on Wednesday. The cafe, market, halal butchery, one-stop shop welcomed dozens of guests to experience a fresh, healthy food source that serves its community to the fullest. The project started more than 15 years ago as a dream of owners Ishmael Samad and Yusuf Yassin, 
They wanted to create an oasis in what some deem a food desert by building not only a source for natural food, but a community meeting place. State, city, and spiritual leaders gave their thanks and gratitude for the new Roxbury hub. We already know what a space like this is, is going to mean, that it's much more about the products that are being offered, which are directly connected to residents' cultures and, and communities and families and stories, but it's also just a hub and a space for people to build community itself. This is a partnership between the people who are consuming and the people who are providing what we consume. And if they're trying to provide for us all the things that are lawful and good and wholesome, and another word, ladidun, which means delicious, then I think we should give them the support that they need. Senator Liz Miranda got the crowd hyped up with her Roxbury pride. Roxbury love is in the house! She presented Ishmael and Yusuf with a state citation in honor of their contribution to the Roxbury community and for their tireless efforts over the years to make it happen. Following the red ribbon cutting, customers flooded inside to check out the new digs. Fresh halal meat, organic fruit, and all natural ingredients are just a few of the incredible highlights of the store. Over 30 black-owned businesses are represented throughout Nubian markets, thanks in part to Sharif Abdul-Malik, owner of We Buy Black. Typically, when we go somewhere and shop, 99% of the people who are shopping is from our community. But yet, 99% of the product that's inside of the store is from somebody else's community. That's right. And the stores that don't belong to us. And the stores that don't belong to us. Exactly. So we have, um, it's, this is a triple win for all of us. It's a win-win-win. And those are the type of opportunities that we should look for. It's just nice to be able to have this ownership, to be able to, to have ownership of a space, to put Sweet Baby Ray's on the bottom shelf, you know, and put Kamal's hot sauce right in the middle. You know what I mean? Right when you see it. That's power. Nubian markets would not have been possible without the investment from Boston Medical Center, who realized that Boston residents need reliable, healthy food in order to live long, healthy lives. So we know we have to do more than provide excellent, compassionate health care. We work outside our hospital walls, where we engage in partnerships to remove barriers to wealth creation in our communities, because we know that wealth is health. Mm -hmm. To that point, Nubian Markets is a unique and transformative endeavor. From the very, very beginning, Ismail and Yusuf have had laser intentionality to creating an ecosystem of building wealth through ownership of the business. The hope is to create more locations throughout Boston and eventually the state. After all, it is Nubian Markets, as in multiple, so plan to see a lot more of Ishmael and Youssef in the future. On Tuesday, Mayor Michelle Wu and the city of Boston celebrated Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander Heritage Month. On Tuesday, City Hall Plaza was the epicenter of culture as city council leaders gave remarks for the city of Boston's Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander Heritage Month celebration. Marking the occasion was a series of vibrant dance, music, and performances showcasing the breadth and diversity of the AANHPI community. There's so much richness in our Asian culture that you provide to the city, whether it's in Fields Corner, or in Chinatown, and as an at-large city councilor, I love learning from all of you and celebrating your culture. 
Um, so May, I, my parents are also are immigrants from Haiti, and it's Haitian American Month. So I like to think of May as May is the month for Haitians and Asians. So um, hopefully we can all celebrate each other and our cultures. As we celebrate AAPI Month, we come together. We recognize the contributions and sacrifices that the AAPI, the Asian American community, has made to our city and to our country. We're better off as a country because of the wonderful contributions of the AAPI community. Again, honored to be here, proud to represent probably the largest AAPI community in Boston. It's been such a, a pleasure and a privilege to watch the city of Boston make sure that everybody can benefit from our cultural celebrations and the ways in which we bring communities together to drive resources, drive programming, um, hear what the needs and dreams are, and then also just to create space to be together and enjoy the, the sunshine and community. Lisa Tung is the executive director of the Mass Art Art Museum, or MAM, and her exhibitions have received numerous awards, including Boston Magazine's Best of Boston, Best Curator. Tung is a vital member of the greater Boston arts community, and she joined us in studio to discuss the newest exhibit at MAM, May Stevens' My Mothers, a collection of paintings portraying Stevens' birth mother and her spiritual mother and the role of motherhood in our lives. Enjoy the interview. I'd love to get started uh, talking about Mae Stevens. Why was it important for you to showcase her and her exhibit, My Mother's at a Mass Art Art Museum? Um, thank you so much for asking. Uh, first off, I think um, it's always wonderful to showcase women artists just because uh, for the most part, uh, men are shown more than women. And Mae Stevens is one of Mass Art's more well-known female artists. And we thought it would be a nice thing to do for the 150th anniversary of the college. Uh, Mass Art is the only uh, free independent uh, art school in the nation. And she's one of our alumni. So we thought this is a great time to show her work since her passing in 2019. In this exhibit, Stevens offers portraits of her birth mother, Alice Dick Stevens, alongside her spiritual mother, uh, Marxist revolutionary Rosa Luxemburg. Uh, what do you find most moving about the subject? matters in the portraits themselves. Basically, May Stevens was someone who believed that um, the accomplishments of women should be highlighted, and she didn't mind mixing women across time. She didn't stay wedded to her lifetime's women. She thought, you know, um, she really found a kinship with Rosa Luxemburg, who, as you know, was a Marxist revolutionary um, who was assassinated in 1919. Mm -hmm. And she also loved her mother dearly and really, really felt that what her mother did as a um, caregiver, wife, um, mother, um, was also a cause to be celebrated. So she's putting her mother and Rosa together. So when you first walk into the gallery, you'll see um, what I think is the painting that sets the tone called Forming the Fifth International. And here you see May's mother, Alex, uh, painted in color and Rosa is painted in black and white and the two women are sitting there as if they're having a conversation and I think um, this is really really poignant because Rosa was someone that May really looked at for inspiration uh, for act her Rosa's activism and uh, revolutionary and socialist um, feelings and May also felt that her mother even though she had just a fifth grade education really did a lot to help shape who she was so to bring your mother or a girlfriend or a grandniece to see the show would be lovely. And then there are four other canvases as well that uh, show um, May's loving portraits of her mother over and over. 
Mm, I love that so much. And in addition to the paintings, there's quite a bit of memorabilia uh, in the uh, that's accompanying the exhibit. Uh, can you talk about some of the pieces there that will help viewers be informed about May Stevens' life? Of course. Um, this is a very tightly edited show. So it is only five paintings, and I did not want viewers to think that May's legacy was just five paintings. So we worked really hard to assemble three additional cases in which there are replications of other paintings that she has done. So she basically did a big um, body of work every decade. So she graduates from Mass Art in 1946. She then um, moves to New York, where she marries her husband, uh, painter Rudolf and they then move to Paris where she gives birth to her son Stephen. They come back to the US and she starts her teaching career. Um, so in one of the cases you'll see an old 1946 Mass Art yearbook of a very very young Mae Stevens oh. and also you see some examples of work that she has done um, before she starts teaching. She was a fashion illustrator and she also drew covers for um, pattern uh, such as like Butterick's and so you'll see the pattern uh, covers as well as fashion illustration books in the case. You'll also see um, some studio shots of her and her husband in the studio as she's helping him with his work or as they're goofing around. Mm. Um, you'll also see images of other paintings. I would have loved to include many, many more uh, paintings in the show, but we only have limited um, space. And so inside you'll see um, the first time that she puts Rosa and May, to, uh, her mother, uh, May's mother, Alice, together, was actually in a feminist uh, journal that she founded called Heresies. So in Heresies issue number one, you'll see the first time Rosa and Alice together, and she keeps mining this subject matter over and over. She then in the uh, 80s paints large canvases where she's got something called, um, I think, Mysteries in Politics, where lots of different women painters from different eras, along with uh, her mother holding a baby, May, as well as Rosa, are all together in one painting. You talked a little bit about uh, the feminism in her life. Uh, mm -hmm. She was a feminist. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a vocal women's rights advocate as you um, as I learned, she was a co-founding member of the Guerrilla Girls, yes. and you mentioned the Feminist Journal Heresies. Yes. Um, in what ways do you see her activism at work in her, her art? So May really believed that if you were not political in your work, whether it was art or writing or what have you, then you were just supporting the status quo. And so in her artwork, you can see um, you know, through catalogs and also what we have here, she's really trying to highlight, tell the stories of other activists, things that causes we should be aware of, what's happening on, in the U.S. at the time that she's uh, growing up. Right. Um, and she, while this body of work looks like she's just maybe painting her mother, um, she's really celebrating all the roles that women play throughout a woman's life. Mm -hmm. And it just so happens that Rosa Luxemburg is some is also an activist. Uh, May is a was a founding member of the Guerrilla Girls. The Guerrilla Girls, as you know, was a, um, a group founded in the mid-1980s who donned guerrilla masks and protested in the art world. Why were women artists not being featured? Why were they not being collected by the big institutions, the Metropolitan or the Whitney, or why weren't they given shows? And that was the first time they were really using statistics and to say, you know, this many percentage of paintings are by men and this small percentage is by women. So right. the fact that she was a founding member of the Guerrilla Girls is really great. I love a bold, outspoken woman. Yes. <laughs> and what do you think ultimately is Stephen's legacy? 
Um, I think uh, the fact that she was brave to do uh, this kind of work, um, I'm sure it wasn't uh, necessarily, uh, you know, wonderful for her parents to see that maybe she was painting her father this way, but she took a stand. Um, she wanted to highlight things that were injustices and uh, things that people should be aware of. And I think um, a lot of artists do that today. And I think a lot of uh, younger artists want to do that. And if they continue to see that, that uh, other people who came before them have done that and others are doing this, you know, we'll have more change and a way to see and uh, see what needs to be changed and what needs to be improved uh, in America today. And how can viewers see Stevens' exhibit for themselves? So May Stevens, My Mother's, is going to be on view through July 30th, and it's going to be on view at the Mass Art Art Museum, or MAM, as we like to be called. Our website is mam.massart.edu, and we're open Thursdays to Sundays. Deborah Cash is the executive director of Boston Dance Alliance, an organization that builds capacity for dance by identifying and creating shared resources, information, and productive partnerships to help dance flourish across the area. She's been a central figure in the Boston arts and cultural community for over 10 years, and her passion for the performing arts has inspired many. She joined us in studio to discuss the Boston Dance Alliance and how young people can find their passion for dance. Boston Dance Alliance is what's called an art service organization. Um, that's the kind of national category for it. Um, we don't put on shows and we don't train anybody. We do everything else. Um, I think of it often as that we're the umbrella. We are there to uplift all the different kinds of dance, all the different kinds of dancers, the ones who are serious professionals, the ones who are doing it on a Sunday night just for love of it, the very young children who are dancing and taking lessons to the elderly people who are going out on a social evening, um, and that we really are interested in asking the community, what is it that you need? So we are really a broker of what we say information, resources, and what we call productive partnerships. Summer is right around the corner. I know a lot of parents are thinking about programming for their kids, and dance can definitely be the answer. Uh, what are some of the benefits of introducing kids to dance? Well, I am a firm believer that if you can breathe, you can dance. Every child born in the world has a native dance energy. Um, the, the, anybody who's had a toddler who has just seen them bop around the living room or bop around to a uh, band knows that it's an inherent in kids to dance. Now, people use those energies in different ways. There are some young people who channel their physical energy into competitive sports. There are some people who will channel that energy into mastering an instrument. But being involved with dance specifically is for me a way of taking up space in the world. And it's a wonderful opportunity for kids to both learn the discipline of working toward a goal, whether it's you know learning a ballet um, sequence or learning to spin on your head as a b-boy. Um, it's a, a way of being with others. Um, usually a dance class is a social activity mm -hmm. and you've, you're usually with kids around your same age. Um, it's sometimes a way of knitting yourself into a neighborhood. 
or into a um, heritage community so that there may be children in a community like Chinatown who are learning the ancestral dances of their heritage or people who are um, young people who are um, second generation South Asian dancers who are doing Bharatanatyam, a classical Indian dance form, as a way to connect themselves back with those, those histories. So people dance for all sorts of different reasons, but we're big believers that there's no time like the present, just do it. And what should parents know when choosing a dance school? How can they make sure that they're making the right match for their child? Uh, Boston Dance Alliance on our website, which is uh, bostondancealliance.org, has what we call a, a class finder. And if you write in, you know, you are interested in Alston, um, they will, it will give you all of the dance studios within a five mile radius or a 10 mile radius. And then you can go through those links and look and see what they're offering. But you can also go through a different sort of process where you can really take your lead from your, your child. And for me, that would mean what kind of music do they like? What kind of movement do they like? Are these fairy princess girls who are, or boys for that matter, who are dancing to classical music and want to be, you know, dying swans and um, flowers, you know, swaying in the wind? Or are they kids who really like rhythm and like hitting the floor? Um, that if you can find a musical form that you know that your kid really responds to, chances are there's a dance form that is aligned with that. And um, for very small children, um, children who are preschool or, or in the early grades, um, it's important to not set them up for failure. It's not about achieving something. It's about opening their imagination. Right. So is there a, t a teacher in your community who might be associated with your daycare program um, or with Head Start or with some other activity um, who is interested in saying, you know, imagine that you have a giant ball and you're rolling all over it. Or imagine that you're jumping over a pile of leaves. I mean, you know, the, the kind of inner life of a dancer that is really something precious and that can lead to a kind of movement activity um, is really terrific for young, young children. And what do you find most rewarding of young people discovering dance? I love young people discovering dance. Um, I live for this. Um, my basic belief is that there is a style for everybody. Um, and whether it's you know an international folk dance style, whether it's just dancing in your living room, whether it's getting out on stage and expressing your inner life um, in the most compl complicated and comprehensive way, um, that there's a place for it because you know we live in a world that's very much screen oriented, that everything is mediated. Um, and even though I love dance films, I, you know, I look at TikTok dances, I look at um, the kinds of things you would see on YouTube, and I'm glad it's there because it creates a sense of the, the breadth of the world. It's, it's terrific stuff. But to be embodied, to live in your body, to think about what it means to be in space with others, to 
have a sense that you can own this to even as an older person feel, oh, well, I used to be able to jump and turn 26 times in the air. Now I have a hard time doing that, but I have more depth. I have more clarity in the way that I move. I'm more discerning about it. Mm -hmm. That there are all sorts of wonderful messages you can get about self-knowledge and about sharing with others. And you know who doesn't want all of that? That's our broadcast for tonight, Boston. Thank you for tuning in. For BNN News, I'm Faith Maffedon. I'll see you next Friday.